0: Welcome back, beloved. Today, we're moving on with the book of Daniel, chapter 12, part 2, and we are going to be talking about the resurrection. We're going to be going through Daniel chapter 12, verses 2 and 3 today. And I understand this is a little bit different than I normally teach. I normally go through a full chapter or half a chapter, you know, per teaching. I understand that. But as we get to the end of the book of Daniel, you know, I want to be open to how I feel led to teach this, and and you know we've just seen so much massive prophetic truth throughout the entire book of Daniel, irrefutable proof that the Bible is the Word of God, and now we get to these massive statements the Lord makes. And he's given us so much reason to believe his word. And so these statements, I, I just want to go so deep into them. I don't want to just brush by them and teach you them really quick. I almost want to, uh, to preach them from the mountaintops, right? <laughs> and so I'm going to review what we spoke about last week very quickly in Daniel chapter 12, part 1. And then I'm going to move on and, and we're going to dig into these verses today and so if you remember last week we were talking about that time period the last 1260 days the last three and a half years of the tribulation the great tribulation Uh, you remember it was uh, it started with at that time michael the archangel michael the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people the jewish people the nation of israel will arise And there will be a time of distress, a great tribulation, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And that was echoed by Jesus. He said, this time coming, this end time, this tribulation, this great tribulation, which was really marked out, the clear sign of it was this Antichrist, this abomination of desolation, this image of the beast, this idolatrous and self-exalting, brutal military dictator, right? Like that person is really the telltale sign that you've entered into this time of trouble such as has never occurred since there was a nation, right? And so the worst time in all of human history is coming, it starts with here, and then it says, and at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, the book of life of the lamb slain, will be rescued and so that's what we talked about a little bit last week so i went through that pretty quickly now i'm going to move on to what we're talking about this week daniel chapter 12 verse 2 then says now the vision which started in daniel chapter 10 is reaching into the resurrection okay at that time Many of those who sleep in the dust, this is clearly all throughout the Bible just talking about dead people, people who are dead. Their physical bodies have died, right? Where their spirits are, are either heaven or hell, but right now their bodies are dead. It says many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, okay? The resurrection. These, it says, to everlasting life. Who gets everlasting life? It's the ones written in the book of life. These get everlasting life, but the others to disgrace, embarrassment, and everlasting contempt. You see why this verse is so radically important, beloved? This is one of the clearest Old Testament verses that show us there is a resurrection of every human being, of Adam to the last man who fell. Just because you're resurrected doesn't mean you're going to the new heavens and new earth to be with Jesus. The the people in hell, the people in the lake of fire will be in a new body. It will be a body fit for destruction. And so this verse is either filled with hope and joy and glory or it's filled with terror, absolute terror. And we need to understand both sides of that. Now, I want to explain this in the historic and in the prophetic, you know, the, the resurrection is coming and how they were looking uh, looking forward to the resurrection. How God has always given people faith in the coming Messiah, Jesus, in the Old Testament. And God has always given people faith in the resurrection from the dead. It's part of our hope, okay? Hebrews 11 is going to talk about these people from Daniel. I want to bring them up and a few other Old Testament characters Hebrews 11 tells us what faith is. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It's not like, oh, I hope I'm right. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So you already hope for them. Faith is that assurance. It's a substance. There's a weight to it. If Faith given by God is a gift. And when you have it, it not only do you know you have it, but you make life decisions based off of it. It's a weight. It is the conviction of things not seen. We can't see Jesus. We've never touched Jesus, but we know he died for us. We know God created the world from nothing. Now, in the historic context, it begins to talk about all these great Old Testament saints who had faith. It said they conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, all these things by faith. But then it begins to talk about the characters of Daniel. And remember, the book of Daniel is written for a a people that will go through tribulation. The angel is comforting Daniel concerning this future tribulation at the time of the end or any tribulation. Many people are going to read the books of Daniel and Revelation. And it says, by faith, they shut the mouth of lions like Daniel chapter six, Daniel in the lion's den. He did that by faith. They quenched the power of fire. That was Daniel chapter 3. They wouldn't bow to the image of gold. How how were they willing to give up their lives? It's because they had faith. And not in just that God existed, but that the Messiah was coming, that God was their redeemer, and they'd be resurrected from the dead. I mean, you don't give over your life unless you believe God can resurrect you from the dead. And so even in the Old Testament, it talks about some saints who were tortured not accepting their release. They didn't want to stop being tortured. Why? One, they had faith, but two, so that they might obtain a better resurrection. They knew God rewarded good and punished evil. They had faith in the promises of God. They had faith that God would raise them from the dead. Hebrews 11, 19, it talks about Abraham. He goes up and he almost sacrifices his own son as a great foreshadowing of what the father did to the son, of, of, of what Christ did on the cross for us. But Abraham goes up. He almost sacrifices Isaac. And and thousands of years later, Paul writes in Hebrews that Abraham considered that God is able to raise people from the dead, in which he also received Isaac back as a type, right? Like he actually received Isaac back. Isaac never died. Abraham had faith that even if he slew his own son, God would raise him from the dead. And so Uh, The book of Hebrews ties in with the book of Daniel in a historic fashion to understand God had witnessed and prophesied all throughout the Old Testament and given people faith in the resurrection. It's a well-taught doctrine in the Old Testament. It's nowhere near as clearly taught as in the New Testament, but it's there. And that's what I want to do. I want to shift to that prophetic landscape. I want you to see the doctrine of the resurrection in the Old Testament. And the further we go back the better. The the book of Job, we don't even know when it was written. I mean it was written probably around the time of the patriarchs like Abraham, but it could even be before Abraham. It's an ancient book. There was no religious system, there was no people of God that we know of, right? God's always had people on the earth, but there was no synagogue, there was no law, there was no like show up here and sacrifice your lambs in the morning and at night like in Israel, right? And, and we have this book about Job, and he's going through all these struggles. And look at this question he asks. And we know Job has faith. I mean, it's obvious Job is righteous. He says, if a man dies, will he live again? All the days of my struggle I will wait until my change comes. What is Job waiting for? You know, he wouldn't curse God like his wife wanted him to. He says, if a man dies, will he live again? He's asking a question about resurrection. And then he goes on to say in Job chapter 19, some of the most amazing words in the whole Bible. He starts them out by saying, oh, that my words were written. And beloved, this is amazing because we're reading these words like four, five thousand years later. He says, oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book, which they are. We're reading it. (laughs) that with an iron stylus and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever, like a diamond carving them in the rock. Job wants these eternal words known. What does he want known? What does Job want known for all eternity? Beloved, this is the faith God gives. This is all Job knows. He says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives he doesn't have a perfect christology he doesn't have a perfect messianic doctrine he doesn't know all the prophecies he knows his redeemer lives someone will pay his ransom price someone will redeem him and he says at the last in the end he will take his stand on the earth beloved that's the best that's one of the most amazing doctrines about the coming messiah Yes, he came to die for us, and he will also, in the end, take his stand on the earth as king, right? Zechariah says, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Job knew the Redeemer would stand on the earth. And then he says, amazing, even after my skin is destroyed, after I sleep in the ground, like Daniel 12, after I'm dead, from my flesh, I will see God. That, that's incredible. That's incredible. Job knows his Redeemer lives, and he knows he will be resurrected and see him. And then he says, I will behold him. I myself will behold my Redeemer, and my eyes will see him and not another. And then he says, my heart faints within me. My heart yearns within me. He is dying for the moment he gets to see his Redeemer. And beloved, his words were written in a rock and inscribed eternally in the very word of God, the Bible. How incredible is that? The psalmist, Psalm 22, I did a whole video on Psalm 22. I recommend you watch it. It it is a messianic psalm. It's written a thousand years before Christ was born. And it starts with the very words Jesus said on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone knows, every biblical commentator knows this chapter is all about Christ. And look at how it ends. It says, all the ends, so it talks, Psalm 22 talks about this great coming Savior and all these great things that point to Jesus, even how his clothes would be divided and gambled over, clearly talking about the Messiah. But then it ends with, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will worship before you. It's talking about Jesus. It says, the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. And then it says, All the prosperous of the earth will eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust, just like in Daniel 12, everyone who dies will bow before him, even he who cannot keep his soul alive. You see, Daniel 12 makes it very clear. There's a resurrection to everlasting life. There's a resurrection to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Just like the psalmist said, Everyone will bow to the Lord. Everyone will bow to the one that said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Everyone will bow the knee to Jesus, but some will not be able to keep their souls alive. They will be destroyed. Isaiah 24. uh, Isaiah 24 through 30 is really eschatological, really talking about the end times. In, In Isaiah 24, it really kicks off with, Behold, the Lord lays the earth waste. He devastates it. He distorts its surface. He scatters its inhabitants. Very clearly, Isaiah 24 is talking about the tribulation, the very end of the tribulation. It talks about the Messiah coming back, the Lord coming back. Then it talks about the resurrection. It says he will swallow up death for all time. The Lord God will wipe tears away from all faces. This is 700 years before Christ is born. He'll remove the reproach of his people from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah 26 goes on to say, your dead will live. He's talking about the nation of Israel at the second coming of Christ at a time of great tribulation for the whole world where the world totters and reels and is being judged by God. Your dead will live. Their corpses will arise. And beloved, this is not just for Israel. Israel. The whole church, every Gentile, every Gentile, everyone who is saved by Christ, everyone who Christ died for, we're going to rise from the dead one day. You see, this is why I can't just gloss over these scriptures. Look at this. It says, you who lie in the dust, awake and shout for joy. Beloved, can you imagine that moment? Like One day we are going to rise from the dead and shout for joy. If we're here at the second coming of Christ, we're just going to be instantly translated which i can't imagine what that will be i mean we'll shout for joy there as well but most likely we will arise and shout for joy it says your dew is the as the dew of the dawn like the fresh morning dew and the earth will give birth the earth will give birth to what to the departed spirits and it'll be around the time of what it will be around the time that jacob israel takes root and blossoms and sprouts And they fill the whole world with fruit. You see, Paul, he knew the timeline. He knew the resurrection happened after the nation of Israel looks on the one they've pierced. And they are saved, at least one-third of them, Zechariah says. He knew all these doctrines. Look at what he wrote in Romans 11. And it is going to tie into the resurrection. But I want you to understand the whole point of my channel is to teach kind of the timing of all this. Like when the resurrection happens and it happens at the end of the tribulation, at the second coming of Christ, and it happens when the nation of Israel gets saved. It's incredible. And so uh, Romans 11 talks about this, and Paul says, Brethren, church, I I don't want you to be uninformed about this mystery. There's a mystery here. I want you to have knowledge of it, because if you don't, you'll be wise in your own estimation, which is a nice way of saying you'll be the only one that thinks you're wise. And then he says, there's a partial hardening that has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Right now, we live in the times of the Gentiles. That's what Daniel 2 and Daniel 7 is about. Babylon, medo Persia, Greece, Rome, the final Roman beast, the final Gentile kingdom that rules the world right now. Jesus said, you, you Israelites, you Jewish people will be scattered like they were and that you'll be gathered up eventually at the end of the times of the gentiles he said jerusalem will be trampled by gentiles until the time of the gentiles is finished and so he says there's a partial hardening to israel most of them do not receive the messiah they do not accept jesus as the lord Now, some of them do. He said there's a partial hardening. I'm Jewish. I believe in Jesus, right? But there's a partial hardening. As a nation, they have not turned to their Lord. And that's until the fullness of the nations come in. And then all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written in Isaiah, the deliverer will come to Zion, Jerusalem, and he will remove ungodliness from Jacob, from Israel. Jacob is the father of of the 12 tribes of israel and this is where it ties into the resurrection paul says in romans eleven fifteen, 15 if their rejection okay this is very straightforward but i want to make sure i explain it if the jewish people being rejected because they rejected christ god has now rejected them temporarily partial blindness uh temporarily they've been those branches have been broken off of god's olive tree if their rejection is reconciliation of the world. And what he's saying is when the Jews rejected Christ, now the gospel's going to the whole world and they're being reconciled, the whole world is you know, not every single person but people out of every tribe and tongue and nation are being reconciled to God through faith in Christ by the blood of the lamb. And that's that's because of the rejection of the Jewish people. Right after they rejected it, the gospel went to the Gentiles. He then says, "What will their acceptance be?" but life from the dead. He's saying if when they were rejected, the world got the gospel, what will it be when they are one day accepted? It will be life from the dead. It will be the resurrection. And so I just wanted to bring up a few verses where Jesus mentioned the resurrection and it ties in perfectly now with Daniel chapter 12. He said, Do not marvel at this. An hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice the voice of the son of man. You remember Daniel seven, the son of man, he calls himself that son of man. He says, I have authority to execute judgment because I'm the son of man. And he says, they'll all hear my voice and come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, life, like in Daniel 12 says for the righteous, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment, they're still resurrected. But they are dead. Paul said in Acts 24, 15, that we have a hope in God, which his fellow Jews cherished also, that there would be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So we see the testimony of Daniel 12, chapter uh, verse two. In Psalm 22, we see it in Isaiah, we see it in Jesus, we see it in Paul, and so finally, I just want to touch on the time frame of this resurrection, and it will help you understand Bible prophecy better uh, throughout the whole Bible. If you look at how God explains his prophecies, look at this, many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. This is the first resurrection. And within the very verse, within the very sentence, this little gap, if you're looking at the screen, this one little space here, the comma, not even a period, right? God leaves this in total mystery to the Jewish people at the time. They had no idea that between the, the ones to everlasting life and the ones to disgrace and everlasting contempt in this little space is one thousand years you see i'm going to bring up the verse that shows you this in a second but you have the second coming of christ and then you have the first resurrection of the righteous you have the entire millennial kingdom of christ then you have the resurrection of the wicked the great white throne judgment and then the righteous go into the new heavens and the new earth and so Revelation 20 verses 5 and 6, it says, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. And it says, blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. The first resurrection is for the holy ones, the blessed ones, the ones who did not worship the beast, the ones who have been faithful to Christ, right? And so All the faithful who are either alive at the time of Christ and are instantly translated and become glorified saints or those who have died and and, and been faithful saints and and they will be resurrected. It says, over these, the second death has no power. They will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Now, beloved, we're going to reign with him for eternity, but this is talking about the 1000 year earthly millennial reign of Christ where he rules from the davidic throne in jerusalem and very clearly in this verses it says they came to life and reigned with christ for a thousand years blessed and holy is the first resurrection there's a second death they do not need to worry about it they're going to reign with him for a thousand years and then after the thousand years you have the second resurrection It literally says death and Hades, the temporary resting place of the dead, are thrown into the lake of fire. And then it says this is the second death, the lake of fire. Everyone, the dead, it says, are standing before God. So although they're still dead, they're resurrected. That's kind of a mystery. But in hell, you are both dead and dying at the same time. And you see why I can't just... Brush over these verses, beloved. We need to understand what hell is. There's a resurrection of eternal life and a resurrection to disgrace and eternal contempt. And so if the life is eternal, then so is the punishment. There's a a false teaching out there that hell is just sort of annihilation. You get thrown in and you die. No, it says if, if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, he's thrown into the lake of fire. And Jesus said there the fire is never quenched. And in Revelation 14, it says the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anyone. That's why we should be evangelizing and telling people the gospel. This is where I deserve to go. This is where you deserve to go. And that's what the next verse is about. It's how, how do we attain righteousness? Where can we find righteousness? Where is the escape from this? You see, you know, I can't just teach through the resurrection and show you a couple plots and a couple graphs of, of the exact time frame. That's very important. But these verses are massive and we need to take our time going through them. So just to summarize the time frame, you have the second coming of Christ, the salvation of, of the nation of Israel and, and anyone alive on earth who, who believes in Christ at that time you then have the millennial reign of Jesus Christ which which is the that is the first resurrection it's at the inauguration of that millennial kingdom and then the entire 1000 year period then there is a final resurrection and the dead stand before the Lord at the great white throne judgment if their names are not in the book of life they are thrown into the lake of fire and depending on which commentary you read the way i see it nobody at that second judgment is found in the book of life because it says they are the dead. And the Bible says God is not the, the, the God of the dead. He is the God of the living. And so that's enough for Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. Now we're going to move on to Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. And I think these go together. It says those who have insight, those who have wisdom. This is a spiritual wisdom. This is wisdom given by God. This is Christ became to us wisdom from God, right? Those who have wisdom will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness, they lead people to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. You see, Proverbs says righteousness delivers on the day of wrath. You need righteousness to stand before God. And we're going to talk about that in a second. But there is a historical context, there's a prophetic context, and then there's a a great application for for me and you, beloved, that we should be leading people to righteousness. We should be wanting to shine brightly and attain a better resurrection for ourselves. And Christ is faithful, and he will reward, and he will work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. However, uh, I want to get to the real meaning of this. Those who have wisdom will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, Jesus told a parable in Matthew 13, and it ends with the lawless and the wicked being thrown into the furnace of fire. And then he essentially echoes what Daniel says here. He says, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so Jesus says, only the righteous get there. And Daniel chapter 12 says, the righteous will shine brightly. They will lead people to righteousness. Beloved, there are faithful pastors, ministers, lay people, evangelists, teachers, ministers, you name it. And they teach many good things. Many good things for practical godliness. Many good things uh, about the doctrines of grace. Many good things all throughout scripture. and, And they are very good. But the most important thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the doctrines of how to be righteous before a holy God. You see, Paul said in Romans, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. God has chosen to save people through that message. That's how he's going to do it. To the Jew first and also the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed. That is so important to understand. The good news reveals God's righteousness. And so at the time of the end, during this great tribulation, people are going to be leading many to righteousness. But even right now, we should lead people to righteousness as believers in Christ. And and if, if, if you're a true believer in Christ... You can either lead people to self-righteousness and yourself and your plan and what you're doing, (laughs) or you can lead them to the righteousness of Christ, to the righteousness of God, to the gospel, right? It says in the righteousness is revealed, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the righteous man lives by faith, from faith to faith. To faith, There's nothing in between. There's no room for works. There's no room for boasting. It's God's righteousness. Romans chapter 3 verse 10 says, there's none righteous, not even one. So righteousness delivers on the day of wrath and me and you are fresh out. There's nothing we can do. There's nowhere to point. There's no self help book. The lake of fire is justice. It's what we all deserve. That's why the gospel's really good news. Romans chapter three says, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. The law condemns us. It shows us we're sinners and we need a savior. It's good, but it can't save us. Apart from the law, separate from the law, the righteousness of God has now been manifested. And it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. And so at the time of the end, during this time of great tribulation, It says, those who have wisdom will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness. And and Jesus echoed this this promise essentially that the righteous will shine forth. And it's a beautiful promise. We need to be leading people to the righteousness of God through faith in Christ so they abandon their self-righteousness now i want you to see this also in the prophetic and historical context as well like what's coming in the future when it talks about these righteous remember he's giving a prophecy to daniel to the nation of israel about the end times there is a group of wise jewish men at the end times they are jewish evangelists they are powerful men of god they are the righteous they're going to point people to jesus They're described as the 144,000. They are 144,000. They are 12,000 from every tribe of Israel. And beloved, if the 12 apostles by themselves upset the whole world, what could God do with 12,000 from all 12 tribes? uh, 144,000, you know, essential little apostles running throughout the world. And as soon as you see them sealed at the time of the end in Revelation 7, The Lord is preparing them for ministry. He's sealing them so that they cannot fall under the judgments of God, just like he protected them in the book of Egypt. When the hail fell, it it fell on Egypt, but it didn't even fall on the dwelling places of the Hebrews, right? He's going to supernaturally protect his children and seal them, okay? And he seals them. And as soon as he finishes sealing them, look at what we see during the tribulation. It says, I looked and now there's a great multitude and no one can count them. From every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, they're standing before the throne and the Lamb clothed in white robes. They're saved. Beloved, they're saved. And palm branches are in their hands. And so I'm not breaking down this verse, but at the time of the end, these Jewish evangelists will be the righteous. And they will be leading many to righteousness. And beloved, it's so clear. I mean, the 144,000 are sealed. And then immediately after that, boom, you have a massive, you know, uh, group of Gentiles from the world that have now been saved. And and where are these 144,000 pointing them to? How are they telling them to get saved? Do we have any clues as to the doctrine that they're preaching to them? Yes, we do. Just a few verses down, the angel says to John, who's seeing this revelation, do you know who these people are? And he says, you know, my Lord, you know, You, you can tell me. And the angel says these are the ones who have come up out of the great tribulation and they've washed their robes and made them white in what in the blood of the lamb the doctrine of the atonement the very heart of the gospel the substitutionary atonement of christ that christ literally bled and purchased everyone who would be saved on the cross that he actually died for them in the negative sense, he paid the penalty for your sin. That is the heart of the gospel, the blood of the lamb. He's redeemed men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation with his own blood. That's incredible. And then in, that's just the negative sense to get rid of the guilt of our lawbreaking breaking, The positive sense, the righteousness that we have to stand before Christ, where's that come from? Because if you just forgive my sins, well, okay, well, I'm just worthless. Well, now what? Where's my righteousness? That's in Christ also. He lived a perfect life. He fulfilled the law. When he got baptized, he said, do this to fulfill all righteousness. All righteousness was fulfilled by Christ, and he credits it to you. God credits you righteousness. He injects you with a foreign vaccine of righteousness through what? belief in Jesus. It all comes through faith, and even the faith is a gift, so it all rests on the grace and mercy of God. No one deserves it. And beloved, It's incredible when you understand these verses in their context at the time of the tribulation, when the resurrection happens, right? Right. Just before that, it says these wise men will lead many to righteousness. And we have in the book of Revelation, these righteous men, these men with insight leading the nations to faith. And what do they lead them to? They lead them to wash their robes and make them white in the blood of the lamb. And I think we've seen that all. I'm going to finish with this. It's so important. We looked last week at Revelation 12 at the devil and his great war against all the children of God, against all the nation of Israel and all the Christians and anyone who has ever named Yahweh as their God and how he hates them and he wants to devour them. And at the time of the end, his rage will be at a level we can't imagine. And how do we overcome the devil? Revelation 12, they overcame the accuser by the blood of the Lamb. And then we looked at Revelation 13, when the devil takes on human flesh and the Antichrist uh, conquers Israel, conquers the saints, crushes the world, and and the rage of the devil's hatred is being manifested through the Antichrist on the world when there's just an unimaginable tribulation. How do we overcome? Well, they overcame the beast by being written in the Lamb's book of life. And, And how do we lead many people to righteousness? How do we make sure we're Uh, going to be resurrected to life and not resurrected to to disgrace. We wash our robes and, and, and we go to the righteousness that is found in the blood of the Lamb. And how do we make sure we are the resurrected to eternal life? We believe in Jesus. This is my favorite verse about the resurrection. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. It's from faith to faith. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. And so I'm going to finish with just a quick, quick review. And you'll understand I can't just sweep through Daniel chapter 12. We have to take our time. Many of those who sleep in the dust at the time of this great tribulation will awake some to everlasting life, and that will be the joy, beloved, eternal life with Christ in his image. Others to disgrace and everlasting contempt, and you'll be in the image of Adam forever. Adam had a son after him, his image, after he was cursed. You'll be separated from God forever. I don't know what image you will look like, but it will be terrifying, and it will be eternal. And finally, Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. Those who have wisdom will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And historically, I think that was talking about Daniel 11, the faithful Jews under the persecution of Antiochus. And prophetically, I think that's talking about the 144,000 and any faithful believer under the persecution of the Antichrist one day. Because this is a prophecy, right? But there's a, a level of application in that we need to lead people to righteousness. And we don't have any to offer them apart from the blood of the Lamb and apart from the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which reveals the very righteousness of God. And so I hope you've enjoyed this video. I know we only went through two verses. Bear with me. I will get you through this chapter. Have a great day.